0: Glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast to hit the audio which i just did the audio will go up on our podcast rk ministries podcast which you can find anywhere uh podcasts are available and so on the podcast go find us uh like it subscribe to it share it and you know give us a good review Uh, that all helps the algorithm and and gets more people uh on board in the audience so i'd encourage you to, to do that and it only works if you if you will share it with with other people that you know beyond the people that I know and beyond the people that are friends on Facebook with me if you'll share it with your friends and uh, your family and those who need to hear these things so I'm going to attempt again to uh, share a my screen with you so we'll look at some slides as we go along it's going to be a lot of scripture uh in the beginning and I'll try not to get bogged down in every scripture you guys know how uh how tempting that is for me to to analyze every word as we go uh, I'll try to hold that off and just kind of give you some basics on the scripture that we read in the outset, and then we'll focus in on Ephesians, uh, this portion we read in Ephesians, and we'll lay out some key points on how we can begin to serve a God with no rivals. So let me get the screen share uh, going here and get over to where I can manipulate it. So. Uh, hopefully at this point you can see the screen, Family Driven Faith. And I encourage you, if you haven't got that book, uh, you can get it in audio version. I know it's scribbed or... Scribd, or whatever, however you pronounce that. Uh, it You can find it there if you're a member, uh, and it's in an audio form there. But, you know, I think there's Kindle versions of it, Amazon has it. I encourage you to get it in some form or some fashion and read it. Um, and then you can follow along as we go through each one of these, because it's really kind of taking the seven main uh, concepts that are laid out in this book uh, and helping us understand how it is that we can facilitate the biblical theology of family uh, and the importance of that in our own personal lives and in the life of the church. And so hopefully you can see with this first screen that uh, there are seven fundamental um, premises, premises, that Doctor Bauckham uses when he writes this book, and we will end, we will go through each one of these uh, one by one. So the first thing is God with no rivals. Next time we will look at learn to love biblically, what biblical love is all about. The second, the third theme will be give give him your heart and we're going to be breaking down Deuteronomy chapter uh 6 really when we get to the second when we get to these uh let's say second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth when we get to those second six uh, in a row, we're really going to be focusing in on Deuteronomy chapter 6. So you can go study Deuteronomy chapter 6 and you'll be prepared a little bit for what we're going to talk about there. So today God with no rivals. Uh, Learn to love biblically next time. Give Him your heart. Uh, The third session teach the word at home the fourth session live the word at home the fifth section and then mark the home as God's territory the sixth section and then we'll end with the seventh which is enjoy the gifts without forgetting the giver and so that's kind of our road map as to where we are going to go over the next few weeks and so i'm just going to keep this up and you'll see my big old head and a little bitty screen uh down there on the on my right side of the screen uh and i'll scroll through all the um slides so i can read them and we'll we'll talk and try to give eye, to, eye contact to the camera so you won't see my forehead uh all of the time but anyway you'll see the slides mostly so the first thing, first session we're talking about, and again, it begins where we're going to be camping out over the next six weeks anyway, after today, it begins in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse four, and it begins with that f- very familiar passage in Deuteronomy that is called the Shema, uh, and, and it, uh, people, you know, devout Jews still quote this passage today, and it talks about the uh oneness of God uh, and of course we as Christians believe, in we are monotheistic in that we believe there's only one God, and that but that God has manifest himself uh, in three persons. Uh, one being, that is God, manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So in that sense we are triune. We believe there's one God who has manifested himself, one being, that is God, has manifest himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we see really glimpses of that in the Old Testament, but the true uh, revelation of the Trinity uh, comes in the intertestamental period when Jesus is walking the earth and we read about that period uh, in uh, the Gospels and in the New Testament as the New Testament authors recorded for us as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the story of Jesus and then various truths and teachings uh, for uh, the church. So the first thing that you and I have got to come to grips with uh, as parents, if our individuals, right, and as parents in our families, or if you're a single adult, right, maybe you, you have been married, you've been divorced, you're single now, maybe you're a single mom, Who, who, whomever you are, whoever you are, rather, um, This this is one single solitary thing that we've got to start with. You and I, if we claim to be Christians, right, Followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to come to the conclusion that there is only one God in this universe and he's manifest himself in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and we are to bow our knee to God and God alone and there's nothing else in our life that should take precedence over God's rulership and headship over our life. And, you know, Moses recorded that for Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And the idea was that they were in a, you know, uh, polytheistic, you know, pantheistic uh, world that they live in, there was a multiplicity of gods. That for every nation, some of them overlapped, some of them were exclusive to various nations and various cultures. Cultures they had come from Egypt uh, when they were in captivity. That had a panorama of gods, and every one of the plagues that God the Father, that Yahweh, brought on Egypt uh, was directly at uh, appointed at one of the so-called gods of Egypt to prove once and for all to the entire world at that time that there's only one true and living God and is Yahweh, the God of Israel. You and I have got to come to that same conclusion in, in our lives as believers in Christ. There's only one God and that is Yahweh who has manifested himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are to bow our knee to him. He is to be the Lord of our lives. He is to govern everything there is uh, about us and about our lives. And So, in this passage that you see on your screen now, Matthew 6, 24, it has to do with the idea of serving God and mammon, God and money, Uh, is the context that this verse comes from. But you can can make some uh, other applications to that. Anything that takes precedent in our life, takes... uh, priority over our relationship with God whatever it may be any other relationship any other uh, our occupation our education our entertainment our money whatever it is we must we must put that down And not let it become an idol in our life because we cannot serve two masters because we will hate the one and love the other. There's only room in our heart for one Lord and that must be God. And we got to reprioritize our lives sometimes to uh, reestablish this fact that all the other things in life take second place to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we must put God as the priority in our life. And when we begin to put God as the priority in our life, and we organize our life around the relationship that we have with Almighty God, then all of these other things will fall into place. A scripture I don't have on her screen here. Uh, I think it's Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, right? And all these things will be added to you. And when we get that all topsy-turvy in our life today. We seek first everything else. And then ask God to bless everything that it is that we are seeking. And so you and I, we, we do that with our children as well, right? We talked about this a little bit in the introduction. A lot of times we... we st- think that, in our child 's life, the most important thing is education. We think that in our child 's life, the most important thing is some kind of sports career or, or you know, some kind of social environment that they must be in while there 's nothing wrong with sports there 's nothing wrong with education, and our children ought to be educated, and our children uh, can enjoy sports. Uh, although sports is even you know, tertiary as it relates to everything else. In education, you ought to take control of your child's education and not allow the government to have control of your child's education. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But first and foremost, we need to model for our children that the most important thing in our life is our relationship with God. And how do we model that with our children? Well, we'll talk more about that as we as we move along, because that that has to be something that we demonstrate as adults, that we demonstrate as parents uh, for our children and the, and the generation coming up behind us. That our relationship with God is paramount it is it is first and foremost in our life and it ought to drive the way we think about everything else um, in our life so we we don't need to have an affair of the soul right where we where we are saying and claiming that we love god but our soul is is we've given our spiritual heart to something else and it takes precedence over our relationship uh, with God, I think the next uh, couple verses, a uh, couple screens or slides are from Exodus thirty-four, fourteen through sixteen. And listen to what Moses says. God says through Moses: "For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, God is a jealous God. Right? Uh, and not in a negative way. We think of jealousy, and we think of it always in a negative way. God is jealous to His people." And he don't want to share his people with anyone else. And we are not to worship any other God, right? Any other so-called God. There's only one God, uh, and he is Yahweh, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And that's the God that we are to worship. We're not let any other idol creep up in our life and take precedence of God. You, for You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they uh, whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you, and you are invited, isn't that what the culture does for us? The culture invites us into their idolatry. The culture invites us into their sinfulness. Man, that's, the, that's, that's one of the whole... Premises of in Revelation when it talks in Revelation when the letters to the seven churches and the Lord names these groups of people that are impacting the church the the Nicolaitans and Jezebel and uh, that uh, you know that that uh, great city uh, Babylon all of those are influences on the church in that day that represent the entire influence of the culture trying to force us into conformity to their uh, worship of their idols and their their God, whatever form that may take in whatever generation that you live in. And you and I need to understand when that happens, we must shun uh, those uh, idols in this world and we worship God and God alone. And he goes on to say, you eat of his sacrifices and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. And again, we don't have time to talk about everything that that means but a lot of people take that passage you know and that's the one um uh, passage where people try to think about uh interracial marriage and say hey that's hey we ought not do that well there's nothing wrong with interracial marriage right as a matter of fact there's only one race and that's the human race there's one race of people that came from one man right and that was from adam every one of us ultimately came from adam uh obviously through noah and his family but there's only one race it's the human race and there's a lot of ethnicities that make up the human race. So in that sense, uh, we are compatible no matter what, no matter how much melanin we have in our skin. That doesn't that doesn't negate the fact that if you fall in love with someone who has more melanin than you or less melanin than you, that you can't marry them just because of the color of their skin or the region of the world that they were born in or came from. That's ludicrous. That's not what the Lord's talking about in this passage. What he's talking about is uh, idolatry. He's saying, and, he, and we see these same things in the New Testament, right? What, what what companionship should righteousness have with unrighteousness, right? Why is it that you want to, you would want to marry into a? a pagan culture or, or as a Christian, right? Why would you marry someone who is a lost person? That's, that's one, and we'll talk more about that maybe another day, but that's one of the problems in our culture today. Even among Christian men and Christian women, we see someone out there who does not have the same belief system that we have, That does not, uh, that is not a Christian and does not bow their knee to Jesus Christ, but we think that we can fix them. And if we will just, we will just enter into this relationship with them, that we will change them. Well, no, we ought not. Now, if you find yourself as two lost people married and one of them gets saved and comes to faith in Christ, now that doesn't mean you have to divorce. You should stay married uh, if you can, and in your loving them and your loving Christ and your serving them as a Christian, you may even lead them to the Lord. But if you're a Christian, you should not even have in your scope some to, to marry someone or date someone who is not a follower of Jesus. Christ that should not even be on your radar and that's what the Lord's talking about here because that will ultimately drag you into their paganism and their uh and their spiritual uh, adultery and idolatry so uh, that's what the Lord's talking about there and we've got to guard against that in our own lives now that doesn't mean we shouldn't we shouldn't interact with and engage with people who are lost. But in our relationships and in our family, God has to be first. And we don't entertain any other religion. We don't entertain any other idols that take precedence in our life over our relationship with God. We've got to get back to the place where Christianity is not just something we do do on the weekend christianity our relationship with with christ our relationship with god is who we are it determines how we live every day of our life and he goes on uh this is exodus 20 verses 3 through 5 and this is uh, part of the 10 commandments you shall have no other gods before me You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And for us, that seems odd and strange, right? Maybe the only place we see idols in our culture, at least in the part of the world that I live in, maybe, excuse me, when you go to... Uh, maybe a Chinese restaurant, you might see a big old statue of Buddha uh, over there, or, you know, I'm not going to say what I was just thinking, but those, those kinds of things we think may be odd, the idols in that way, but we get, we've got to, we got to think with a broader scope when it thinks about the idea of idols. Idol, idolatry is anything that usurps the role and the preeminence of God in our life. And again, we've already talked about it uh, uh, in the introduction, I think. Uh, hey, our relationships can become an idol our our occupation can become an idol, our education can become an idol, our entertainment can become an idol, our sports team can become an idol our our hobbies can become an idol, and what you and I have to guard against in our own life is all of these things that crop up and try to take our attention and try to take center uh, you know center stage in our life, and we need to make sure that those things fall in line with First and foremost, who we are as Christians in our relationship with Almighty God. And those of us who are parents, those of us who are, an, who are adults, who have influence over children, we need to model that in our lives so that our children will understand that the most important thing about their life is their relationship with Almighty God. And that's what we we're, we're going to ultimately flesh out how do we, how do we model that in our families, How do we point our children in that way, and how do we keep that as part of who we are uh, as adults? Goes on to say in, verse, uh, in, in uh, verses three through five in Exodus twenty, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord your God. I am a je- for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. <clears throat> and again. There are other places in the Bible where the Lord talks about the soul that sins is going to die. So if we weigh all of that in on this passage, because some people will get to that last part of that verse and say, hey, God's going to punish his children for what the fathers are doing. No, what he's saying is that if you as a father, if you as a mother, if you as the head of your household, if you go after idols, then there's a chance that your children are going to go after idols. It's going to become a pattern in your life. And how many times have you seen in your family or families? that you know that the sinful patterns of the parents are mimicked in the children for the third and fourth generation. Some people call that generational curses. Uh, In one sense it is because it is a pattern of sinfulness that people have grown up in and they adopt on their own lives, but those things can be broken because God can break them. I'm an example of that. Alcoholism was to use that vernacular, a generational curse in my, uh, in particular, on my father's side of the family but uh, I saw what that did to my father and what that did to uh, many of my aunts and uncles and I don't want to have anything to do with alcohol I don't even want to have any alcohol in my house I get it there's some um, cough medicines and drugs that have a little bit of alcohol I'm not talking about that I just don't want to have anything to do with alcohol so in that sense those things can follow the children as they are raised in those patterns of sinful behavior same thing with this idolatry if we continue to live our lives in this way where God is put up on the shelf or he's something that we just talk about or do on the weekend or maybe if we really pass on a Wednesday night in the, in a midweek service if, if we treat God that way in, in our lives then our children are going to treat God even more flippantly in, in their uh, lives and we see that in Christian culture today that's one of the problems in Christian culture today and, and again uh, it, it's because we have decided in Christianity there are so many other things that are more important for our children than us focusing on their relationship with christ and we'll talk more about that as as we go so god has got to be the center of our life and our relationship with him ought to dictate how we live in this world the decisions that we make for our life and for our children isaiah 42 8 i am the lord that is my name i will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images God and God alone deserves our worship. And as a matter of fact, we talked about this Wednesday night. When we come to corporate worship in church, it ought to be about giving worth to God. It ought to be about praising him, offering thanks to him, singing to him, making a joyful noise to him for who he is and what he has done. And we've, we've turned worship all too often more into something about us, right? What kind of music do I like? What kind of atmosphere do I like? What makes me feel good? It doesn't matter how you feel. It really doesn't matter how you feel. When we come to worship, it's about who God is, and we ought to ascribe worth to God. We ought to come before the throne of God and humble ourselves before a holy, righteous God and sing praises to him, and focus in on him, and I guess, I guarantee you this, that will begin to change how you feel in your life, if you'll come to worship the one true and living God, and the second thing is, we got to model that in our family, we've got to get to the place in our families, and again, I told you in the introduction, I didn't do this perfectly as a father in my family, the Lord um, blessed me with children, who, who got saved and uh, we tried uh, inconsistently um, to do these kinds of things and to instill these things in our children. And the Lord blessed us with children who uh, love the Lord and who are saved and are aspiring to follow after him. And I give God all the glory uh, for that. But we've got to get to the place where we are intentional in our family uh, to as, as fathers, as husbands, if you're a single mom, as the leader of that household, or if you're a single adult and you, you, don't, you have no one else in your home, you, by yourself, in your home as the head of the family, need to get to the place in your life where you come to a consistent, systematic worship of God in your home. Don't let it just be something you do on Sunday. Don't let it just be something you do on Wednesday. Every day, strive to spend time alone with God, worshiping him in whatever capacity that looks like for you in prayer and reading the Bible, singing praises and hymns, <coughs> songs of hymn and thanksgiving to the Lord. That's got to be a part of who we are every day as Christians if we want to see that passed on to the next generation. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, the Lord says, and he repeats that for emphasis. For my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory, I will not give to another. Why is it that God does anything that he does? Why is it that he even saves us? For his name's sake, for his glory, he saves us. And we owe to him praise and worship and honor and glory uh, because of who he is and what he has done. Now we won't belabor this too much on this slide because we've already talked about what some of those idols are in our life today because Quite honestly, idolatry is something we think of as Old Testament, right? Ancient, we don't see that as much today. Now, there are other places in the world where it's a big thing, where people do have idols in their house, ancestral worship or whatever it may be. But for those of us in America, which is primarily my audience, for those of us in America, it may not necessarily be a shrine in your house uh, on a mantle or in a room or whatever. Maybe there's a lot of cultures in America but for the most of the people that I know and probably my I'm communicating with it may not be what it is but we've talked about it it could be sports it could be education it be, it could be your career your success it could be entertainment whatever takes precedent in your life over your relationship with God whatever it is that you give your time your talent and your resources to more than you give to God that becomes your idol that's the thing that drives your life and we need to we need to get that under reins and we need to put God back in Like we can put God where God is on the throne, right? He is on the throne. He is sovereign. We need to bow our knee to God and we need to give over these other things and bring them under the headship of the Lord in our lives. So how do we, how do we rise above our culture today? Right. And there's so many things we could talk about if you wanted, we wanted to get on culture, but I'm going to try to keep it focused in on what it is we're talking about for our family, because it'll be, it'll be relevant to us with anything that our children have to deal with in culture or anything that we have to deal with in culture. So how is it that we accomplish this? How do we serve God without rivals? Well, it takes intentionality in our life. It takes intentionality in our home. It takes dads uh, stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, God has called me to be the spiritual leader of this family, and so I'm going to take the reins of that role in my family, and I'm going to start uh, intentionally um, being the leader. We're going to have family worship or family altar or family devotion, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray. Or we're going to set aside time to do That as a family, and I'm going to teach my children God's Word, and I'm going to model for them what it means to have uh, God as the Lord of our lives. And same thing with moms. If you're in the nuclear family, you have a father and a mother and children there, then mom, come alongside of your husband as he. Uh, takes that reign as spiritual leader in the house, uh, in in the home, and you be his helpmeet uh, to to help him in that process as as you guys together partner together to uh, guide your children to lead your children, maybe your grandparents right your children are growing and going like ours, and your grandparents, and you have opportunity to have influence over your grandchildren. Will you take whatever influence and opportunity you have to be a spiritual leader in there? lives come alongside your children and augment what your children are doing in their life to to help point their kids to the Lord maybe help your children realize the importance of this uh, as God gives you opportunity to share these kinds of things with your children maybe maybe you're a single adult and there're not any children in your home maybe you're an aunt or an uncle and you can have uh, influence over um, one of, you know your nieces or nephews and uh, you use that opportunity to influence them for the kingdom but it's got to start in your own heart and your own life in your own family in your own home uh, so whatever influence you have use it for your family now we're going to read these passages and then we're going to come back and break them down and that's going to lead us to the end of our uh, discussion today but this is one of the key places key passages that we need to understand <coughs> as it relates to how we begin to model this in the family unit in the family structure so Paul begins, look carefully then how you walk. Man, I wish we, if you go back to Ephesians, chapter, or Ephesians 5 and verse 1, uh, in Ephesians 5, 1, the Bible tells us to walk, to be imitators of God as dear children. And so in other words, as those who are created by God, those who are the children of God, imitate him in his holiness, in his righteousness. And, and that's the same idea here. Uh, I think the Greek word for walk is peripateo. Uh, it's to walk around the way of life, a manner of living. So look carefully then how you live your own life. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. That's intentionality. Because the days are evil. Man, you just look in the world and you see the evilness of the day that is around us. Therefore, do not be foolish, but be under, but under, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How are we going to understand what the will of the Lord is? Well, we understand it from the revelation that God's given us. We understand it as the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, as He, as the Apostle John tells in John chapter sixteen. <clears throat> and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not going to jump off on the the drinking uh, track again, but the the analogy is that. Alcohol, when you are enamored with alcohol, it controls, uh, distorts how you think. You don't act the same way you normally act when alcohol is in control. So he's saying, don't let those kinds of things control your life. Let the Holy Spirit. Spirit have control of your life. and Paul says a very, same, a very similar thing in Romans chapter 8. You're either walking according to the flesh or you're walking according to the Spirit. It's those who walk according to the Spirit who find that the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in them. So how do we be wise? How do we understand what the will of the Lord is? We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. We we feast on God's Word. We let God control our lives and we let the Word of God become that implanted seed in our life. And then we be begin to share that with our children. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's that element of worship the Lord in our life and then submitting, submitting, submitting to one another out of reverence for. So in in one sense, while we are created equal... Men are different than women. We have different roles that we play, but there is this mutual submission of one another as unto the Lord. And so we all submit to the Lord. We all come to the Christ the same way at the foot of the cross. in that sense, we're all equal. but God has anointed us for particular roles in our lives as male and female, and we are to fulfill those roles as we uh, function in the family unit. so Five keys to serving God with no rivals. One we've already talked about, watch your walk, right? How, what's your manner of life? Man, there, there is this overwhelming idea in Christian circles in America that a person can get their heavenly ticket punched, okay? They can say a prayer, They can get dunked in water, they can get their name on a roll, they can get their heavily ticket punched, right? Say, hey, I believe, boom, got my ticket punched. And then they can go and live like the world and think that everything is okay with them. Well, that is as far from biblical as anything can be. That is anti-lordship salvation. There's this concept in this, in this world that people can say that, hey, I've, I've believed in Christ, but I cannot have him be Lord of my life. He can be Savior, but he's not Lord of my life. I can live like the devil, and I'll end up in heaven anyway. Now, get it. Don't, don't hear me saying that you can work your way to heaven because that's not true. You'll never be good enough to make your way to heaven. If you could be good enough to make your way to heaven, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, neither grace nor faith, is of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. But we always forget verse 10. What Paul reminds us about this idea of lordship salvation, that when it comes to salvation, the whole... The underlying premise of salvation is that you bow your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You submit to him as Lord of your life. That's why Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created by him for good works, that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right after, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. Then he says, hey, once you are saved by grace through faith, There are works that ought to follow that. Your life ought to be changed. Sanctification is a process that ought to start. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect right out of the gate? No. Does that mean we're going to be completely perfect while we walk on earth? Prior to Jesus' return? No, because we still drag this flesh with us. That's what Romans chapter 7 is all about. The things I want to do seem to be the things I can't do. The things I don't want to do seem to be the very things that I end up doing. Who can save, oh wretched man that I am, who can save me uh, from this wretched uh, you know, battle that's waging in me with, between the spirit and the flesh? Well, it's God who can save us from that, and God is working about sanctification in our life. So we there ought to be an, a change in you, and I guess... People, you know, I've had others ask me, what does that look like for an 8-year-old? Well, it's going to look differently for an 8-year-old than it does for a 48-year-old. And it's going to look different for one 48-year-old than it does for another 48-year-old. Because one 48-year-old may have had a life of complete debauchery, adultery, sexual sin, drugs, alcohol, whatever, you name it, right? They may have been the, the most despicable person you've ever seen in your life. And God radically saved them and they turned away from all of those kinds of things. Or it may be a person who has from our human perspective, has looked decent all their life. They never really got into trouble, yeah they 've done the things that all of us do, you know lie, cheat, steal, those kinds of things uh, that if we 're all honest with ourselves, we all have done at some point or another in some way, and so they they but on the outset, they look fairly like fairly decent people, and the radical change in their life might not seem as radical as it did for the other person and the same for an eight-year-old who's grown up maybe in a Christian family and they had not had a lifestyle to do a whole lot of things. But there's going to be a bit in their heart. Their heart's desire is going to be to follow after God and maybe to honor their parents more than they've been honoring them and make it an intentional effort to do what their parents asked them uh, to do and, and walk and follow after God. But the point is, you know, those are the extremes. Those are the outliers. For you in your life, for me in my life, if I claim to be a follower of Christ, there's a way that God expects me to live and walk. He says to me, be holy for I am holy, right? So I ought to walk in light of the righteousness that God has imputed in my life. Although imperfectly I know because I'm an imperfect person until God Christ comes again, and He redeems my body just like He has my soul. In that day, I will have no sin; will have no power over me anymore. So, there ought to be a difference in our walk, and we ought to emulate that in our family if we're going to serve a God without rivals. God must take precedence, and our life ought to be bent toward walking after Him, being followers of Christ. What did Jesus say? If you're going to be my follower, then hey, you have got to take up your Christ and come, your cross and come after me. Right? You've got to follow after me. you got to walk like me. Live as I instruct you uh, to live. And then the second thing is be good stewards of our time. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. <clears throat> and again, I think that's intentionality. And that's something in Christianity, as I've said already tonight, that's something in Christianity that we have lost in the family. Christianity has become a... Thing that we have that is part of our life, right? It, it's become another category of our life. We put it on the same shelf, equal, uh, equal, and on par with sports or, or education and Christianity. We have all those things on a shelf, all those categories on a shelf. And so, on these particular days, our our focus is right here on education. On these particular days, it's on sports or extracurricular activity, or maybe it's our career. On these days, it's our career. Well, then on Sunday. Well, let, let's take, and it's, on, and it's it's on Sundays when these other things don't take precedence. You know, if I don't have to work or if I don't have to take my kids to sports or if I don't have to be involved in education or whatever it is, uh, whenever I have the time on Sunday, then I'll take my Christianity out and we'll go to church and we'll worship and we'll read the Bible and we'll we'll pray and then we'll come put our Christianity back on our shelves and we'll get back busy with our life. Well, that, that's the wrong way to think about it, right? That, that ought not be who we are. We ought to be intentional and, and as Christians and understand, that our relationship with Christ, Christ is on the throne of our heart, right? The Holy Spirit indwells us. We are the temple of God. And all of these other things ought to come under the rule, the reign, the headship of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be intentional in our lives as parents, as as influencers over the next generation, in whatever capacity that is for you. We've got to be intentional in our life to foster that relationship with God personally, And then in our family or whatever circle of influence that you have, that you model that and you intentionally disciple those who you have influence over. And that's what God's called us to. We need to be intentional with our time. And I'm afraid we've lost that in Christianity. It's time we get it back. It's time as families we come back to this idea that Christianity, our walk with Christ, is the most important thing thing in our life, and it's the most important thing that we ought to foster in our children. All these other things are secondary. It doesn't matter if they are an excellent baseball player or football player or, you know, they're an excellent CEO or engineer or whatever it is. It doesn't matter about all those things if they die and go to hell. So we need to model this in our family and and seize the time and seize the opportunity that we have because we're only here for a short period of time in history. God's only given us our children for a short period of time in history, and we need to make the most of it. And we've got to do that in an intentional kind of way. Then understand the will of the Lord. (coughs) And you know, Sometimes we think this is a, one of the hardest things to do, right? Understand the will of the Lord. We try to we try to do it by reading the tea leaves, uh, right? We'll say, well, you know, I saw um, this flyer over here that had something to do with with Haiti, right? And then I saw this commercial over here that had something to do with 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 Haiti and maybe uh, you know. People in poverty over there. And then someone that I know, it's out of the blue, began to talk about this idea of Haiti and, and you know all the things that are going on over there. They saw something on the news about it. And then I began to say, well, maybe the Lord is wanting me to go to, to Haiti, right? And so we try to read the tea leaves in that way. And I'm not saying that God can't use other people and God can't prompt your heart uh, for things. But I'm telling you, it is less complicated than that. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. It is less complicated than that. You know how I know? Because God's given us his word, and in his word he has revealed his will. How do we know what the will of the Lord is? We read God's word, the thing that he has left us to reveal who he is and what it is that he wants us to do with our life. Now that may translate into, I feel that God is leading me to Haiti to do missions. But I'm here to tell you, for the majority of believers in God, whether it's Old Testament saints who were believers in the promise of God under the Old Covenant, or whether it's New Testament saints who are believers of Christ in the New Covenant, for the majority of people who are believers in Christ, the will of God for you is to live in faithful obedience to him in the place that he has planted you and to start your missionary journey in the four walls of your house with the children that he blesses you with. Now, if he doesn't bless you with any children, then you start that missionary journey in the way that God does call you to influence others, next generation, friends, family, uh, whatever it is. But for, for the most of us, it's going to be, hey, I need to be faithful to, for God when, in, in the old days, in the agrarian cultures, when I go plow the field, right, when I work uh, from daylight to dust, plowing the field or feeding the cows or whatever it is, or when I go uh, on the road driving this truck or when I, uh, you know, drive my uh, dump truck, I heard an ad for dump truck drivers needing today on the on the way home, uh, or where it is, I go work at the, the, the supermarket or the gas station, or I go to be an educator, or I go, uh, you know, wherever it is that I work or wherever it is that I go about my life whatever it is that I do maybe I'm a stay your stay at home mom or, <clears throat> and your life is centered on raising those children educating those children that's grassroots Christianity and for the most of us that's how God's called us to be faithful to him and follow out follow out his will because his will is for us to be faithful to him in every aspect of our life. To honor him, to worship him, to love him, and to share his glory uh, for, for all those he's given us influence over in our life. And we find out how to do that in his word. Uh, there's one pastor, I can't remember who it is. Uh, Alistair Begg comes to mind, it may be him, but don't quote me on that. You can go look it up. I think he said before, if you want to hear God speak then read the Bible. And he said, if you want to hear God speak out loud, then read the Bible out loud. God has already spoken. He's given us his will in his word. Let us be students of his word and discern his will from his word and live in light of that. And we have to be intentional on that and we have to raise our kids and influence the culture around us to be that way. And then constantly yield to God's Spirit. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let God's Spirit have control of your life. Don't let all these other things take the seat, take the throne, take president. Don't let all these other things drown out uh, God, God's rule and reign in your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And again, how does the Holy Spirit guide us? He guides us through the truth of God's Word. What did Jesus say? He's going to lead us into all truth. He's going to teach us the things that Jesus taught. He's going to convict the world of, righteousness, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. He's going to draw people to Jesus Christ. He's going to impress upon us what the truth of God's word is. He's going to pray for us when we don't even know how to pray. So be led by the Spirit of God. And one of the primary tools that the Spirit uses, the Lord says when Jesus gives his prayer, right? We, we know the model prayer, what we generally call the Lord's Prayer, and the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, but when, when the Lord actually gave the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 16, when he prayed for his disciples present and his disciples us, future, he says, he says Father, sanctify them with truth. And he said, Your word is truth. That's one of the primary tools the Holy Spirit uses to guide us and lead us and sanctify us. It's the truth of God's word. So then it all comes back to us understanding God's word. Then it says, order your relationships by the book. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Again, we've talked about it. We're, we're created, men and women, we're created equal but not same. <coughs> I'm getting a dry throat. We're created equal but not same. God has ordained particular role uh, for men, and I know the culture around us hates that. Right, the the person that um, Gavin Newsom just appointed to take over uh, the senator or the Senate seat uh, for Feinstein uh, was just harping about the patriarchy and how bad the patriarchy is, right, and how, how terrible that is for women. But really, the most freeing thing in the world has been the patriarchal design that God set up in the created order for women and if we function in the roles that God has given us, it's not that we lorded over men, lorded it God called men to lord it over women in an unrighteous way, no it's that God has called men to be the spiritual leaders in this world, the spiritual leaders in his family of faith, the spiritual leaders in their home, and he provided for him one who was compatible to him, one who was a helpmeet for him to come alongside of him, and to augment that role of leadership, and to come together as a team to accomplish the purpose and the will of God in the family and all too often we don't function that way why primarily because men don't step up to the spiritual leadership role that God's called them to to have and take in the home and the ladies have to step up and take that role in the home but God's called we as men we need to be on the forefront of the battle and I've used this analogy before and I'm just trying to appeal to the men that are out there that have any testosterone left in their body if someone was trying to break into your home and do harm to your family, your wife and your children, would you not stand up and do whatever it took to defend your family? Well, I'm here to tell you there is a spiritual war war where the enemy is trying to break into your home, into the minds of your, your spouse, into the minds of your children and trying to do them harm. And it is time for you to stand up as the spiritual leader of your home, and to take those reins and you do whatever is necessary to protect your family from this spiritual attack, and to protect our culture from this spiritual attack on the family. As we find in Ezekiel, we need men who will stand in the gap in this moral breach that's come in the wall of our culture. And we need to take those reins and we need to be the voice of truth and reason and do what is necessary in our families intentionally to mold their minds and shape their minds and guard their hearts with the truth of God's word. And we need to order those relationships. The primary relationship in our life, male, female, the primary relationship in our life is Christ number one relationship. Every other relationship falls uh, secondary to that. Even our spouse and even our children fall in second place compared to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we we need to live in relation with other people in light of that relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know how to do that? Well, God's given it to us, right? In the moral code. Jesus summarizes it this way. Love your neighbors. You love yourself, right? Honor your father and your mother. Don't, don't kill your your neighbor I right? don't kill human beings, murder them don't steal things that don't belong to you that people have worked hard for don't 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 bear false witness right don't covet all those things go along with how we love one another, how we order our relationships in this world, and we've got to intentionally model that in our families, we as men we you as as wives. You've got to demonstrate to your children that Christ is first and foremost in your life. And that in your married relationship, Christ is first and foremost in that covenant relationship you have with your spouse. And then that spills over into how you raise your children and how you disciple your children. That's the only way we're going to turn this around in our culture and in the culture of the church. And so some action points, some key things to think about. One, make a list of potential idols in your life. I don't know what they are in your family. Whatever those things are to take precedence over your relationship with Christ, relationship, sports, entertainment, whatever it is, career, make a list of those things. And then decide as a family. Maybe sit down and do it individually and maybe sit down as a family and do it. And then decide as a family to crush those idols, to put those things where they ought to be. Right And put God as first place in your life, confess, repent as a family the sins of idolatry, and then receive God's forgiveness because He will forgive you. Celebrate your freedom from that idolatry, and then commit to serve God and God alone to put Him in the first and foremost place in your life, and then be intentional about modeling that in your family. That's the first step. we've got to serve God and God alone in our in our families. And until that happens in this world, we're going to continue to see this war raging, even in the homes of Christians. And it's high time that we take that back. And again, not, not to beat up on those who are sincere in what they're doing, but I'm telling you, what we need to be doing as a church is not segregating everybody into small groups of worshipers by age what we need to be doing is bringing the family together as in in worship and letting the father take that leadership role letting the mother come alongside him in that leadership role or helping the single mom in that leadership role that she needs to take or helping the single adult uh learn what it means to be a single adult and and model these things for whatever group of people they have influence over We need to come together as a body, and we need to structure ourselves in a way that we see families discipling. Their children, and then we see them as those arrows that are in the quiver that we can send into the world. Because all we're doing right now, for the most part in church, is we're giving a lot of false hope to a lot of people, and we are we are telling people that you've got to have entertainment, you've got to have a certain atmosphere uh, in order for uh, it to be worship or worship to be fun. It's got to feel, you know, fun to me. It's got I got to feel these emotional ties, which is nothing wrong with emotional. We are emotional people, but you can be as emotional as you want to, and you can create an atmosphere to draw about emotion. But until the point where we get, we help parents take responsibility for the discipling of their children by bringing them back together, putting that back under the head of the of the family, and maybe taking those resources we had that we were dividing people up with, and taking those resources and begin to disciple families to disciple their children, and then discipling other uh, people to help uh, in the family of faith, the older women teaching the younger women, the older men teaching the younger men. And we begin to see that happen in the church, and we begin to see lives changed and families changed in that way. I, I believe we'll see, uh, we'll see uh, young people begin to remain in their faith, right? quote unquote faith. Uh, we'll 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 quit seeing them leave the faith once they leave the home or get out from under their parents because that faith has become their faith. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ through this intentional discipleship effort. So anyway, we'll we'll hear more about how we can do this in our home as we begin to delve into Deuteronomy chapter six next week. Hey don't forget uh, that's the little Ticker says there, November the 5th through the 8th, we're going to have a revival at Friendship Baptist Church in Tallahassee. It'll begin at 7 o'clock on that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. So begin to put that on your calendar. Um, Bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring people you know who are lost and need to hear um, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching on Sunday night. I encourage you to bring lost people on Sunday night because I will be preaching the Gospel on Sunday night. I'm going to have Jay Penton uh, from Prattmont Baptist Church will be coming on. Uh, Tuesday, uh, Monday and Tuesday night to bring god 's word to us, and then my good buddy Donald Irwin will be coming up from Dauphin uh, to bring the word to us on Wednesday, So I encourage you to mark it on your calendar to attend every service and invite friends i 'd love to see Friendship Baptist Church packed out because you guys have went out and invited someone. Uh, Hey, if you live in the Eclectic area where I live, maybe a little bit of drive for you 15, 20 minutes. Make the drive. All right, let's come together and worship God and see God uh, impact our lives and see souls saved. And as always, putting it up on the uh, podcast here in just a bit, Um, you're already on Facebook Live. You'll see it on YouTube. Uh, Go to those places, find it, like it, subscribe to it, share it, leave comments, leave a good review. And let's continue to get this uh, this word out. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.